0: Service. This has been Fun? Man alive. I think these guys knew what they were doing. The church suffered a toxic problem from its earliest days. A problem that could have neutralized the church and destroyed the whole movement. The first two epistles chronologically that were written both addressed this problem. Galatians, written probably during the mid-40s or late 40s. James, written probably before that. Both addressed this problem that existed then and exists today. And as it needed to be addressed then, it needs to be addressed today. James addresses it as powerfully as any of the New Testament books or Old Testament books. Let me read to you what Paul wrote to the Galatian church expressing this concern. He used very strong language. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You before whose very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? You became Christians by exercising your faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. And now you're living as if God doesn't even exist. The life of of the Spirit, the life that is lived, that is experienced by faith in God, is gone. You foolish Galatians. And then James, using a bit of a different word, is translated, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without works is useless? The word that James used is the word kenos, which means empty, it's almost like you boneheads, you empty-headed people. Do I have to prove to you that a life that began by you expressing your faith in Jesus Christ can now be lived without faith? And so they, the, the problem was people were living their lives as if God doesn't exist. Their day-to-day life was lived apart from a dynamic, active faith in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And James and Paul both said this life cannot be lived, this Christian life, this life that you bought into by expressing your faith in Jesus Christ, by grace you are saved through faith, not by works. But then you expressed faith at that moment, and then you started living on your own. You cannot live the life Christ has called us to live apart from faith. and we're going to be spending the next few weeks in the book of James. I must confess it's my favorite book. I like James. He's just meat and potatoes and uh, no fluff and he calls it like it is and some of you have discovered I tend to be that way. I, maybe that's why James is my hero. <clears throat> what does this thing call faith? We're going to be dealing with this. so let's just take a few minutes to talk about faith. The Baker Bible Dictionary just says, faith is a basic belief in God and in God's Word. It's just believing that God really is. And God is serious. And, and, and it's, uh, the word faith is one of a series of words that we use to talk about how we process ideas. We use the word conviction, which says, I am convinced of this Fact. It is true undeniably. Uh, we have biblical convictions. I, I b- am convinced that God's word is inspired by him. I am convinced that salvation is by grace through faith. I am convinced that God exists. A second realm, a little bit less, we, we refer to as belief. It's belief. Now, belief is true beyond a reasonable doubt, but it's not quite the same level of being convinced. I am convinced that I own a car. I believe that car will start. But I don't have my belief in the fact that my car is going to start when I go out and push the button with the same quite level of conviction that I hold when I say I own that car. And then there is opinion. And opinion is down the scale. Conviction, absolutely. It's a fact. It's knowledge. It's been proven. I have beliefs that are almost as strong, but I not quite the same level. And then I have opinions that are strong opinions, based on rational belief, I have an opinion that I will own that car for the rest of my life, knowing that I discovered my birth certificate has an expiration date on it. (laughs) And it's coming closer and closer, so my life ain't that long. And it's the kind of car I never could have afforded. I bought it. for My daughter-in-law leased it, and she was going to turn it in. I said, no, Mel, let me buy that thing. It's a Lexus. I never thought I'd own a Lexus. Those Lexuses go forever, don't they? Floyd runs them to death. And uh, so it it only has 18,000 miles on it. Floyd had, what, 187,000? Not Floyd. He has that many miles on him, too. But (laughs) talking about his car. And so, you know, that's a reasonable thing. You know, it's a reasonable thing. It's an opinion. I certainly don't hold it as strongly as I believe that my car will start or I'm convinced that I own the car. I have another opinion that I would like to believe that I'll never have to pay for repairs on that car. You say, now that's a stretch. That's a stretch. But it's my opinion, I, I would like to believe that. And and so, so you see how... We, and then well, faith, where does faith fit into that realm? Where does faith come in all that thing? Well, faith is a matter of... Conviction. But it's a conviction based on something different than a a, a, a fact that I accept empirically. You know, we have facts that are self evident facts. A triangle has no diagonals, the whole is greater than any of its parts. A thing cannot be true and not true at the same time. Those are self-evident truths. There aren't a whole lot of them, but there are some. And there are those that are backed by uh, solid empirical evidence. We don't have that kind of evidence for faith. Uh, I I believe this desk exists, not by faith, by empirical evidence. I see it. I I believe most of you exist. Because <laughs> I see you. I hear some of you snoring. <laughs> yeah. So I, things I can see, I, I, I don't have to do that by faith. Faith begins where sight ends. Genesis 1.1, the third word in the New Testament, the third word in the Bible, Barak, Bereshit, Elohim. God created in the beginning. There's no argument for that. It's just assumed as fact. And what you do with that third word in the Bible, what you do with that third word determines how you read the rest of the Bible and how you live your life. Bershit, Barak, Elohim, God. Pause on that third word and say, do I believe that? I've never seen God. By faith, I must accept that God exists. So the first thing is, as I get through that third word is, do I really believe it? And second, as I come back and process that word, I say, yes, I believe it. But then I ask myself, how do I believe it? Is God off some distant place do I believe that God wound the universe up and then it's okay guys you're on your own hope I see you at the end or is God actively involved in life so so faith is something that that I I believe by choice by choice David believed it. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. David looked at the the, the stars, laying as a shepherd out there under the dark sky and saying, where did this come from? The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, talked about Uh, God's creation in the beginning God created and Paul said for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities we don't see them God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse so Paul is saying we can know God Not because we see him, but because we see what he has done. And then we go to the book of Hebrews. The the clearest statement in all of scripture, I believe, about this whole definition of faith. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Now faith is. Faith is confidence. Faith is the guarantee we have in what we hope for. So we hope for eternal life. We hope that God loves us. We hope that God is part of our life. How can we hope that when we've never seen God? We've seen evidence, but we've never seen God. By faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And faith is assurance about what we do not see. The word assurance is that word Conviction, it's assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, very powerful word, by faith we understand, we comprehend that the universe was formed at God's command so that what we see, and the Greek word is phenomena, what we see was not made of what was visible. In the beginning, God created. He said, let there be light, and there was light. So, faith is this conviction. Faith is this thing that allows us to believe what we do not see, to rejoice in what we cannot touch. Then there's the uh, business of faith and and, and reason. Are we... Are we supposed to just come stupidly? Well, Aquinas and and, uh, Augustine addressed that topic very carefully and said he would be a fool who does not explore, who does not look into the sky and say, the heavens are declaring the glory of God, who does not say with Paul, all the stuff around us makes us without excuse. How can you not believe in God? And for the Christian, for the Christian, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there is a supernatural spirit-fed, spirit-induced assistance for this whole business of believing what we do not see. So for the Christian, our faith should be even stronger, more powerful. We go back to Romans chapter 1 and say, not only are we without excuse because of what we see in nature, we are without excuse as Christians because we have the supernatural presence of God in our lives. There is no excuse for a Christian to not live by faith. It's faith and, and, and proof, faith and reason. Now, I told you that I own a car. Anybody not believe that? If you raise, raise your hand, if you believe that. Well, a few of you did. The rest of you think I'm a liar. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> I have an envelope from the Department of Motor Vehicles, Sacramento, California. Got it in the mail, U.S. mail. Inside. It's the state of California certificate of title. If you don't believe me, you don't have to take that by faith. Now, what I said earlier, I told you I have, you had to take that by faith. You had no evidence. But why? And I'm kind of disappointed. Nobody raised their hand. I'm a preacher. You say some of the biggest con artists in the country are preachers if you watch them so on any TV, preachers. So I don't expect you to believe me because I said it, so I have evidence. Now, let me take that a step further. Floyd's my good friend. When his family's out of town, I go by, check their house once in a while, make sure there's, everything's okay. As far as Floyd knows, I've never stolen anything from him. Now, he checks his scotch bottle or down a little bit every time he comes home. But if I were to tell Floyd, hey, Floyd, I, I paid off my pay. I bought that car. I own it. He said, do you have a title? I said, why? And he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see a title. He you, you you mean you, you can't take my word by faith? You don't trust me enough to believe because I said it, that it's true? And you have to believe that as, as much as I care about Floyd, and I believe Floyd cares about me, buys me lunch once in a while, that would have to have an, kind of a negative thing in the relationship, wouldn't it? That you're not going to believe my word unless you see the title. And so I say, how often does God say, you mean you don't believe me? He, and, and Jesus, when the, the, the Jews kept saying, show us a sign, show us a sign. You tell us you're this, show us a sign. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign. I want you to believe this by faith because faith is what connects you to God. Faith is what keeps this life going along. And that's what James said. Let me tell you what James said about faith here in chapter 2. He says, um, oh, I'm back in Hebrews here. Let me go back to James. James. Uh, what good is it my, well, let me, I'll start a little earlier. Verse 14, where are you? James Two fourteen. What good is it, my brethren and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that faith save him? Can that kind of faith save him? And then he uses a, a, an illustration that, that Doug spoke about this morning. Uh, if a brother or sister comes to you and they're naked and they have no food and they're cold and they say to you, uh, can you give me some bread and, and maybe a log for my fire? And you say, brother, be warmed and be filled and slam the door. He says, that's useless. That's the word empty. And he said, that's how empty your faith is if it's just something you talk about. Was that person warmed or filled? No. And he said, some of you claim to have faith, but there's no evidence of it. Now, some people say, now, James and Paul are are at odds here. Absolutely not. Paul is talking about the role of faith in becoming a Christian. We become Christians strictly by faith, not by works. James is talking not about becoming a Christian, but about being a Christian. And James and Paul in Galatians is saying just as important as the exercise of faith in becoming a Christian is the daily exercise of living by faith and having that faith show itself up in actions. And then he says uh, after that uh, illustration, in the same way, by itself, faith by itself, the word, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Hey, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without the deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So one guy says, I have faith, but he has no deeds. No evidence, nothing in his life that shows that he's living by faith. The other guy has lots of deeds, but he doesn't talk about his faith. And James says, who are you going to believe? And the way James is going with this, he said, faith is so powerful that if it's there, it has to demonstrate itself. I like to think of it in terms of symptoms and disease. If you have a sickness, when you, see you had COVID, it showed itself up. It had symptoms. And if I call one of you at three o'clock tomorrow morning, and I say, "Hey, could you come take me to the hospital?" You say, "Oh man, wow! You, this must be important. You walk me up at three o'clock." I, why do I need to take it to the hospital? I have pneumonia. Oh wow! Are you coughing? No. They have a fever? No. Got a runny nose? Uh Uh-uh. Go back to sleep, dummy. You don't have pneumonia. I say, yeah, I do. How can you tell me I don't have pneumonia? Say, if you don't have the symptoms, you don't have the disease. Anything as powerful as pneumonia is going to demonstrate itself in your life. You don't got the disease, baby. You don't got the symptoms, baby. You don't got the disease. On the other hand, if I come here next Sunday and my nose is running and my eyes are all floating, I'm talking like this, I'm so bent over and it's looking terrible, kind of obnoxious. You say, hey, man, you're sick. No, I'm not sick. Oh, yeah, you're sick. You must have a bad cold. No, I don't have a cold. What makes you think I have a cold? You've got the symptoms. There's only one explanation for what I see in your life. You've got a cold. So get out of here before you infect the rest of us. And James is saying, if you tell me you have faith, it's fair and logical and reasonable for me to say, show me. On the other hand, as we observe each other's lives, and as we observe our own life, James is not written to make us the church fruit inspector to figure out who's got faith and who doesn't. James is saying, this is about you. How do I know if I have faith? James just take inventory. Is anything going on in your life that indicates that you have faith? Well, what are these acts of faith? What does it look like? James, James has five fires of faith. Each chapter of James addresses a different aspect of life where faith demonstrates itself and where faith is absolutely critical to, for us to have an effective Christian life. We've been looking at those in the next few weeks. Uh, just simply, uh, prayer is an evidence of faith. I can't live without praying because I need the power of my heavenly Father active in my life. Generous sacrificial giving is an act of faith. I man, if I give all this money, what am I to do about my retirement? Now, I'm not again. I'm not saying. Don't pay your bills and don't put away for retirement. you it's too late anyway. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying be foolish, be stupid. But I am saying, do we trust God enough? Ultimately, finally, to say God is the one who's got my retirement covered. In one way or another, he's going to take care of me. I will be responsible, yes. But ultimately, my trust is in God. But I was thinking about that this week. And I think the final, ultimate way that that for me... Of uh, is looking at my core values, I, I review those a couple times a year, and I think, why are these core values? What one of them is integrity and, and purity, and why do I want to live a good life? Why do I want to live a well? I don't want to tell lies because I don't want to be caught in a lie. That's embarrassing. I don't want to be telling lies. Because I don't want to be known as a liar. I don't want to tell lies because I have to remember everything I said. And that gets hard. So just tell the truth. You don't have to remember what you said. You're going to say it five times. You're going to say the same thing because it's the truth. But there's a higher reason not to tell lies. The reason is because I want to please my God. I believe God is real. I believe God is pleased when I obey him, and I live by the faith, by the system he has set up to live. And I believe he is grieved when I don't. The greatest argument for living an ethical, moral life for the Christian is because it pleases God when I do, and it displeases God when I don't and I love my God, and I want to please Him, and I do not want to grieve Him. But do I believe in God? I mean, really? And do I believe in Him enough, and in His Word, and in the faith system that He has built into His Christian life? To live by faith.